0: He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC.
1: So I've done speech writing for Donald Trump and Bill Clinton. And uh, I just got a new client uh, named Vladimir Putin, who is the uh, president of Russia. And uh, for my maiden speech with him, I decided that instead of writing a conventional speech, I would write a song. So we are now having the new, the text and script of the new song for <laughs> Vladimir Putin that I wrote.
0: I'm a loser. <laughs> I'm a loser. I'm a loser. And I love someone who's near to me. I'm a loser.
1: And I'm no well played. played. I, well played. Yeah. Doug Doug D Piero, my sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> psychic. Psychic, psychic. Psycho. Yeah. Psychic. Yeah, yeah okay. Now um, when we <laughs> look at the Ukraine war, we have to understand what we're what we're learning about the war and about military and about the relative strength of different countries. Um, Wars are fortunately very rare. And the uh, U.S. military has basically been living off the lessons learned in Afghanistan and also learned from Israel's ongoing battle with the Palestinians. But those lessons are, are few and far between. And they have had very little to do with the scenario we've been preparing for ever since the beginning of the Cold War, which is a military confrontation with Russia in Central Europe. And now we got one, and it's worth studying it to understand the lessons. Remember what Santayana said, the philosopher, French philosopher, those who do not learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat it. Yes, That didn't mean summer school, guys. This <laughs> means you know, doomed to repeat it until right. you get it. Um, and there are a couple of key lessons that we need to learn here, and we need to understand how important they are. The first is that the in, the key element in military strength is the intellect of the soldiers, the intelligence of the soldiers. I don't mean military intelligence. I mean brights, the smarts. Mm, common and, sense. And- well, common sense, but certainly technical skill mm. and ability. And uh, the problem is that with, Russia doesn't have any of it. Uh, they have lots of weapons that they've made. They're pretty good at that. And uh, and they've done very well in building rockets and missiles. But in terms of the intellect of the average Russian soldier, it is terrible. And uh, you're just looking at it as you see this war unfolding. Uh, for example, they're very bad at small unit operations of individual groups of small groups of soldiers uh, they 're very bad at coordinating their air offensive and their armor and naval in some instances, and it basically is that they 're drafting a bunch of idiots and morons. <laughs> the only way you serve in the Russian military is to be clinically dead intellectually. if you have an ounce of sense, you avoid the draft yeah, right there are many ways to do it and uh and the and they absolutely scrape the bottom of the barrel in this. We used to do the same thing, but when we ended the draft, which Nixon did for political reasons, we decided we had to recruit smart soldiers, and we trained them like crazy. It's unbelievable how often American troops are trained in combat-like situations, and uh, the result is that we can trust low-level commanders to make the right decision. We can trust soldiers not to steal the stuff we're sending them to to fight with and uh, And everything that the Russians can't do the we've often said in the past that the key to winning a war was having more troops. Then in World War II, it was having more production of weapons now and it's said in the recent past it had seemed the one with the best technology. but now there's a fourth criteria: the one with the soldiers who are best able to use the technology that we provide them with. Now, the second point that I think we need to absorb is that war – behind warfare, it's no longer nearly as important which country is winning against which country. What's important is, is the offense winning or the defense winning? And throughout history, those two elements, offense and defense, have alternated for control of the battlefield in uh, in the 19th century – the great determinant was the horse and the ability of a horse to outrun a soldier. And cavalry and uh, that, that mobility was a key element. And the other element was the cannon and the machine gun, the ability to mass firepower. So the offense had a tremendous advantage in the 19th century. Um, then uh, in World War Two, World War I, the offense ran up against the machine gun. and and it got destroyed, and the ability of the offense to dominate the battlefield ended because the factor of time involved in reloading no longer happened and no longer drained them. Then in World War II, the tank came along and the airplane, and that changed warfare again, this time in favor of the offense because you could bomb the hell out of the country And you could attack with a tank and no machine gun, doesn't matter, Mm. bounce off the side of the tank. Mm -hmm. Then we entered the era, the modern era, in which the key variant was technology and particularly the ability to guide weapons remotely from the place you fired them to the place it's supposed to hit. We call that GPS (laughs) to get lost on the Mm. way to a friend's house. Oh, yeah. But but in military terms, it guides a missile and guides a shell directly to its target. So the fact you're missing doesn't ha- exist anymore. If you can see it, you can kill it. And then over the horizon, we can do it too. So that gave offense the tremendous advantage. But then the defense came along and decided the way to handle this was to equip the individual soldier with the capacity to wreak havoc on the enemy. And that's why the Army had a recruiting slogan, the Army of One. Mm. And that was absolutely that true. Was you send the one guy out there and uh, a woman out there and on his back is a uh, stinger missile or a, crew, or a, um, or a javelin. javelin missile. Yeah, and
0: basically. he
1: can take out a tank. And the missile costs maybe 10000 bucks, and the tank costs maybe $10, 10 million? Million bucks. Yeah, right. And uh, you, can, you just can't afford the attrition of losing those weapons. So that tilted the balance back to the defense where it remains today. And a big reason Russia is losing the war is that it's on offense and the Ukraine is winning it because it's on defense and therefore the soldiers' power is magnified by the nature of the precision-guided munitions. Mm. The other element that I think emerges from this war is that the real weapon in warfare is not the bomb, not the shell, not the bullet, But energy, oil, and gas, that's the real variable. And uh, ultimately, it doesn't matter how much we sanction another country or what we do in trade with them or what embargo. The real question is, uh, what do we do with energy? Uh, We could sanction countries till hell freezes over. But it wouldn't make much difference if we let the energy continue to flow there. And one of the big vulnerabilities, the huge vulnerability, the 800-pound gorilla of vulnerabilities, is that China doesn't produce any energy. They produce everything else, mainly copying our technology. But they have maybe three million barrels a day of oil that they extract from China out of 100 billion, 100 million a day in the world, three percent. And they use about 25, about 15 percent. Of global energy use, and they produce like three percent. Wow! And uh, in confront, and when you look at the war in the Ukraine, the central reality is that e- Europe was was stymied in intervening in that war because they were dependent on Russia for energy. And for all the size of the Red Army and the technology, that isn't important. What's important is its control over energy.
0: The not well
1: Red Army. <laughs> That's right. And and by the way. When we talk about uh, the going to climate change issues and trying to stop global climate change, that is really disarmament because our main weapon is our energy and our oil. And if we trade them in for a bunch of windmills and sunshine, oh, God. Uh, it's not going to be much help to us in a war. And you can look at this war and understand the central importance and the central role played by energy. The next thing that I think is important is that the futility and the stupidity of mass civilian bombing, whether by shell or shelling with cannon or with aircraft, all it does is make the other side mad and angry and bitter and entrenched. And it cultivates their side in global public opinion.
0: Well, it's so horrible, just so horrible across the board.
1: and, And the media captures it and makes it... Just as horrible as it really is. And that brings me to the last element, which is global public opinion. In 1945, Churchill and uh, Stalin were talking at one of the conferences, and Churchill said, You know, I think the Vatican isn't going to like this. I think the Vatican (laughs) will oppose what you're planning to do in Eastern Europe. And Stalin put it really well. He said, how many divisions does the Pope have? Right. So <laughs> At the time, he had about 236 divisions in the Russian army, and the Pope had the Swiss Guard. Of, yeah. like Swiss chard. Swiss chard. <laughs> uh, fancy uniforms and about five soldiers, none of whom can shoot.
0: Swiss chard in a soup. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So, um, But now that's changed. Now global public opinion is crucial, absolutely vital to winning a war. You can't win a war these days without having the world's opinion on your side. Because the major weapon you need to win a war with is economic, economic sanctions, which means you have to get countries to do without the goods of a bad country in order to punish it and deter it from, by fighting and get it to surrender. And to do that, you need a consensus of global public opinion. And we never could have done that without mass civilian bombing. And the fact that we've done it it makes us tremendously powerful on the side of the war. Uh, there's the old saying, might makes right. Mm. Well, right now, right makes might. Mm. Because the more the world sides with you, the more they're willing to observe economic sanctions and punish the country that's invading. So I think we come around to Tina Turner's prescription for world peace.
0: It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC.
1: One of my favorite things about this show is my ability to listen to and talk with some very interesting people, who well, are you guys, women, listening to the show. Uh, one of the ones I've always enjoyed is John from Brooklyn, so... Let's have it, John.
2: Dick, uh, it's good to talk to you again. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to be off shortly to a momo service for a classmate from our high school. Oh, so so right. hopefully I can make you laugh at the end. But first, I to something Stuyvesant? interesting in Atlantic. Did you go to Stuyvesant High day School? Or
1: yeah, day Did you go to Stuyvesant High School? Yes. Yeah, so we're classmates. That's right. So Yes, go ahead.
2: Um, and, in fact, I, I, when I called last week, I told you I'd help organize an event held in your honor for our High School Alumni Association.
0: How great is that?
1: Oh, that's great. Um, was it just that they were generically honoring reprobates or single they <laughs> single <laughs> me out?
0: <laughs> no, they
2: singled you out. But anyway, uh, this is an article that was just published uh, the day or so ago in Atlantic and the writer said that since we're already giving Ukraine NATO weaponry why don't we admit Ukraine into NATO and his argument is that by doing so this would prevent Putin from realizing his goal of reestablishing the Russian empire
1: well the short answer is that we do not want to provoke Putin into a nuclear war and, and I agree how, with you. however incompetent the Russian army appears, their bombardiers are pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> and, and all you've got to do is open the bomb bay and, yeah. and with, with the world's wiped out. So we want to be careful with that. And the other point is the only difference between what's going on now in Ukraine and NATO membership is under NATO membership the military of the country, Ukraine, is integrated with the other nations in NATO – uh, they they use the same parts, the same equipment, the same training, the same military doctrine. And right now, man, uh, my money's on Ukraine, not on NATO. Uh, <laughs> I can't see the Ukrainian army taking a lot of advice from the French army. Not now. Frankly. <laughs> okay, now, um, the I want to talk a little bit about Elon Musk. Um, his entire demand to take over Twitter... And to restore free speech to American democracy and make social media a key element in our democratic profile is is really embodied by the rascals. Uh. What he's doing is is freeing uh, a key element in communications. And in fact, because the, Twitter is primarily uh, overwhelmingly used by younger people who have the lower voter turnout, educating them and keeping them posted on glo- on opinions throughout the world, in fact, is a very important mission. If you're worried about the ideological indoctrination that our kids are receiving in school, if you're worried – about values being distorted in what kids read uh, in school. If you're worried in general about what school is doing to our kids, uh, social media might be part of your answer, and uh, Musk is determined to really make it so. And only a guy like Musk can do it. You need someone who is so rich that get ready with the beep button, he tells the world to go with beep itself. <laughs> And he'll That's just – That's your beep button? Yeah, my beep button. <laughs> and the world, will, the world will just have to listen yeah. because he's got the money to do it. And it is so rare that an intellectual and financial leader in the world is willing to defy the conventional love wisdom. It, it. Most of the time the goal is to get invited to cocktail parties right. and to have – and to really tell great stories yeah. and be lionized by the left – The left controls the awards of heroes in our society.
0: Well, that's why Trump was on Twitter so much, because the the news wouldn't talk about him in a positive way. So he said, "For you, now I'm going to do it myself.
1: Exactly. And and I mentioned on the previous show that every great president has his own means of communication that is a new means of communication. Um, In the case of uh, FDR, it was the fireside chats over radio. In the case of JFK, it was televised news conferences. In the case of Bill Clinton, it was saying I did not have sex with that woman. <laughs> what woman? <laughs> but- <laughs> oh, oh, yeah,
0: right. Smith and whatever? Yeah.
1: But but uh, that's I mean, he's trying to talk about Smith and <laughs> Wilensky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he got the last name a little wrong.
0: Smith and whatever.
1: W- whatever.
0: Yeah.
1: But um, – Really, with Trump, it's Twitter, and it's a very important democracy tool. And thank goodness El- El- Elon Musk is standing up for that That's great. and throwing his power behind it rather than go for social recognition. People are always asking me, what happened to Fox News? How did it change? Why did it go from being strongly conservative to being at times liberal? And at most of the time, just in the middle of the road. Hmm. The answer is cocktail parties. Uh, the um, The... Murdoch's wanted to be invited they wanted to be welcomed in the Hamptons and Nantucket and uh, part of the reason they want wealth is for social status they've got plenty of money and to get social status you need to toe the liberal line Mm. and you can't head a network that is a pariah throughout liberal educated society and that more than anything else I think was the motivation them to basically change their political view
0: yeah that's like the water cooler people on a lower level they want yeah. to be around a water cooler all. No.
1: you change that to a champagne bar yeah, yeah
0: right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and caviar yeah i don't think border cuts it really what's the tough. caviar
0: 150 dollars for a little thing
1: huh? well it's worse now because uh they're embargoing russian caviar oh, that's right and oh you're, you're so sad that's absolutely this is truly really serious horrible um so I think I really just want to applaud Elon Musk. He's, yes. He's my hero. Now, okay. when we look at the Ukraine war, the question dogs everybody of how, do we, how does Putin get out of this without losing his neck or his power or with us losing our world? And uh, there's, a, there's a kind of an effort by people in the world to try to figure out what Putin should do. So in my new capacity that I announced at the start of the show as uh, Vladimir Putin's new speechwriter, I have a suggestion for him. This is great. I think what he should do is to say my goal in going into Ukraine was to end Nazism in, the, in Ukraine and stop the Nazis, Adolf Hitler types, from taking over this country, Ukraine. And in fact, there's a kernel of truth in that uh, the, uh, because the Ukrainians hated the Russians so much for starving them to death deliberately for 10 years and killing 5 to 10 million of them. Farmers who died of starvation because the Russians confiscated their food at harvest time, literally would send out squads as the the harvest was being collected and shoot anybody that didn't give over their harvest. That was not a formula for good foreign relations. And when Hitler invaded Russia, the first place he came to was Ukraine because it's the closest to Germany. And uh, the Ukrainians did not fight against Hitler. Uh, They instead rallied to Hitler in many cases. Then it turned out Hitler hated Ukrainians as much as he hated Jews. Oh, my God. (laughs) And he went after them. In fact, about, we say that 7 million Jews died in uh, camps in World War II. But the fact is that about 2 to 3 million Ukrainians died in concentration camps at the hands of the Germans. Wow. And that spawned a, a fascist movement in Ukraine that uh, that still is somewhat with us today. I've done political consulting in uh, Romania, for example. And uh, I always say the ghost of Stalin fights the ghost of Hitler mm. in the streets of Bucharest. The right has never gotten over being fascists, and the left has never gotten over being communists. Mm. So there's a general, kernel of truth in that with Putin, but... The main thing is there is no – it's not a Nazi country. It's not run by the Nazis. Uh, one of the military units defending um, one of the major American, Ukrainian cities uh, is nominally Nazi. They have a swastika-like design that supposedly is mm. their emblem. And uh, they're holding Maripol against all odds now with Russians fighting it. And they, they are Nazis. It's true. I mean, they're not a global threat, but they're not good people. So uh, Putin should say, I've extinguished Nazism. I've saved the world from another country going Nazi, and we know what that can happen to the
0: world. And even if the world doesn't believe him, it doesn't matter. If he believes that he's saving, He's he's got a uh, saving face way
1: out. And if his people believe it. Right. Ba- bear in mind that the United States, tragically, lost 250,000 soldiers in World War II. Russia lost 20 million wow. people in World War II. 20 million wow, I civilian and military. Um, combat deaths were highest in Russia at about 12 million combat deaths. Uh, Germany, which was next, had about 8 million combat deaths. So, I mean, it was a big deal, and Nazism is no, nothing to be trifled with in Russia. And uh, so Putin has a basis for that, and there's some basis in history, and that would be a way out. It's so. a great
0: concept. It's a great idea.
1: Yeah. So Paul Pu- Feinstein, Putin is going to send me a check, <laughs> <laughs> but he'll want it to be in rubles. <laughs> that isn't right. be worth anything. Yeah. And when I say, "Hey Vladimir, Vlad, I would like the dollars, chickens," he, yeah, he says, I, "You want some chickens? The yeah, chickens are good. Yeah,
0: fresh yeah. eggs." at prioritygoldguide.com That's prioritygoldguide.com It's Sunday and you know what that means Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC We um we
1: we're looking horrible warfare in ukraine but there is another war being waged and i don't know if we really are conscious about it it's the war against the u.s dollar and in this war joe biden and and g the chinese she the chinese leader and putin are basically allies is he or she is she or he i forget yeah it's one of those but but don't dwell on it because you don't use pronouns i'm, not, not supposed to yeah, not I'm supposed so sorry to. That's on our a, beep I'm list. I'm offended. That's on our beep list. Yeah. But the the, uh, the point is there is a concerted offensive now by the uh, to replace the dollar in the world currency. This is not just a matter of prestige. Uh, if we can't if – if, if they don't use the dollar as the global currency, that means that when we want to buy something from another country, we have to first convert <clears throat> our dollars into – some medium of exchange, that country's currency or gold or uh, Bitcoin in some cases. And we can't give them dollars. We have to change that into another currency. And other countries have to do this, have had to do this uh, historically for the last 100 years. But we were exempted because after World War II, we had half of the world's GDP in the U.S. And we used that leverage to... To secure the dollar as the dominant currency. In fact, in coming back from the Yalta Conference in 1945, FDR was three months away from his death and was dying of brain arteriosclerosis. But literally from his deathbed, he ordered the boat that was taking him back to the U.S. to dock in Saudi Arabia so he could meet with Ibn Saud, the king of Saudi Arabia, who had just been installed. They cut a deal, most important diplomatic act maybe of the last hundred years. The U.S. would defend Saudi Arabia in the event it were attacked. Think of uh, Hass- Saddam Hussein. And in return, the Saudis would sell oil only for dollars. And that cemented the dollar's position and American power mm. in the world. Uh, Euros don't work, yen doesn't work, Wuhan, the, ch- the Chinese currency, doesn't work. Dollars and dollars alone work. Now, China and Russia are chafing under that and are trying to break loose. And the reason those two countries are particularly potent is that China is the leading importer of oil in the world, and Russia is the leading exporter of oil in the world. So, if the buyer and the seller are both anxious to change the medium of exchange from gold to dollars, well, That's a pretty persuasive argument for the other countries. But to make it worse, the real question is what does Saudi Arabia do? Just to set that landscape, uh, American oil production leads the world at about – American oil and Canadian combined more or less is about 11 or 12 million barrels a day. Um, Saudi is about 10. Russia is about 9. They've lost about a million barrels over this war. So if Saudi Arabia and Russia were to join with China, and the three of them say we're not doing business in dollars, and there's even some chance that India and Brazil and a couple of other con- countries, big countries, in what's called the Quad, not not the Congressional Quad, but the International Quad, which is India, uh, Japan, um, uh, I shouldn't have started the list, but Brazil. Anyway, those countries join. That really could be a formidable thing that could force the rest of the world to denominate their trade in gold. Um, I do ads on this station for the Patriot Gold Group. This is not one of them. (laughs) But it does mean that that there's going to be a vastly increased demand for gold throughout the world.
0: Is there a benefit to doing this, this? You know Russia and China, and is it? What's the benefit of for them? Wrecking the dollar, wrecking the U.S., Wrecking us. Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: it's uh-huh. as good as sending in troops. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the yeah. real goal. I just Wanted to hear it from you. Yeah, and, um, and and it's very, very effective. Now, why? But if Saudi Arabia doesn't join, then it's not a significant threat because Saudi Arabia is, uses no energy and uh, and and imports no energy, so. It makes it all, and they don't have much of an economy. So uh, a
0: president like Trump would be able to talk to them and say, yeah. don't do this. Absolutely. Biden's a dunderhead, so
1: it's going to happen. Well, he's worse than a dunderhead. Uh, he has antagonized the Saudis beyond belief because the left in the U.S., led by the Washington Post, is mad because the Saudi king and ruler, MSK, MSK MB, an MBS, yeah, right, can get those straight. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, had a columnist for the Washington Post murdered by his agents in Turkey after they lured him into the uh, Russian embassy, right. and uh, to the Saudi embassy, I'm sorry. And uh, that was a huge international bit, and Biden is rallying to punish Saudi Arabia without the least understanding that doing that Alienates probably our only important ally in the world uh, over a matter of principle, which is nice. But uh, come on, guys, it's not worth the whole future of, of the U.S., and it's not worth giving China that weapon and that power. Uh, he wants
0: to hug a tree type of thing.
1: Yeah, well, a, a, no, heel, a, a dead tree. <laughs> 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 okay. But, but. Uh, Idiot. In fact, you could accuse him of treason, I guess, couldn't you?
0: <laughs> oh, there's a morism. Yeah,
1: sorry treason. about that. Treason. Sorry about that, guys. On fire. But um, so, so really the dollar is under assault right now. And the other problem is, which may sound like a good thing to many of us, is we would not be able to borrow much money on the globe. We wouldn't be able to run a huge budget deficit like we do these days in excess of a trillion a year. And that may sound good, but it means no more Social Security checks, no more Medicare, uh, much less money for defense. But
0: wouldn't this hurt the, the whole world? Yes. If they damage us, they're going to damage the world.
1: It would, but not as much as blowing up the world. Yeah, it's right. their other alternative. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And these guys are not playing games. And uh, our, de- our vulnerability in the dollar is incredible. Mm-hmm. Now, there are two solutions to it. One is stop antagonizing the Saudis. And the biggest thing that's antagonizing them isn't just the thing about the report about the uh, human, the dissident who was executed. It is that uh, the U.S. is going back into the nuclear deal with Iran. Oh God! And the Saudis are scared to death of Iran with nuclear weapons because Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran are really the two competitors for global leadership in the Middle East. And uh, the Iranians are determined to destroy Saudi Arabia. It's in the same category for them as Israel. Now, if they ever get the bomb, we probably have to give the Saudis the bomb too. But it would really be tough. And you can't count on the restraint of the Ayatollah because it doesn't exist. And uh, so that's really serious. And when they see Biden flirting with reentering this arms deal God. with Iran, it drives them ballistic. It drives them crazy. uh, Trump
0: and Kudlow. So it's a
1: completely – it's not just a useless deal with Iran. It's very counterproductive in that it empowers our most necessary ally, Saudi Arabia, and uh, one of our staunchest allies over the years, uh, all for really no reason. So so I think that, that we have to rally to the defense of the dollar. And the way to do that is to stop the Iranian arms deal if we ever sign it. Secondly, to increase our oil production and energy self-sufficiency. Because once we have that, uh, oil sells for less, it doesn't matter as much, certainly doesn't matter as much to the U.S. And uh, and it lets us operate with impunity and takes away the vulnerability that Russia and China are exploiting. So it's very important. So. Basically, let's take the Crosby, Stills, and Nash position. ¶¶ You don't have to search for a heart of gold in Germany uh, because there's a black heart mm. that uh, is contributing almost as much to global civilization as Adolf Hitler did, his predecessor. His name is Gerhard Schroeder, and uh, he was the prime minister, the chancellor, as they call it, of Germany until about 2006. And he was a socialist, and he was basically leaned toward Russia and a whole lot of stuff and let Germany deteriorate militarily so it wouldn't be much of a power, which isn't that bad a thing. um, But the key thing is that he recognized that the thing that Germany needed more than anything else was Russian oil and Russian gas. So he cut a deal with Putin while he was chancellor. And then as soon as he retired as chancellor, literally the week that he quit, he was hired— Mysteriously, at a very high salary, probably because he aced the test <laughs> on. Um, like as, Hunter Biden did? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. As the head of, uh, of the pipeline company, Nord Stream 2. No, how convenient. Two. And he has an undisclosed enormous salary, and he's basically become Putin's propagandist. But more than the talk, he's the guy that rendered Germany and therefore Europe largely impotent in this world crisis. Because he's the guy, he's the pusher that helped Germany get addicted to Russian oil and gas. And uh, appeasement and selling out his country really started with him. And uh, you can't blame him. He was searching for love. So, um, I
0: should have played, I'm a pusher man. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. But the um, fortunately, we're getting past his legacy, and uh, but he still has his job. He's still paid a vast amount of money. The European socialists won't investigate him when this is an obvious, not just Why not? conflict of interest, because they're all socialists themselves. He's, it's like a Democrat investigating a Democrat, yeah, uh-huh. a different party in a different country, uh-huh. but the— they share a great deal in common.
0: Same religion, different church.
1: Yeah, you got that right. Assuming we can successfully bring God into this oh, transaction, God. I'm not sure about that. But um, Schroeder is just an evil man who profited enormously from this. Now, he says, evil? No, I'm just looking out for my country. Uh, yeah, I'm just advancing my own country's national interest. Yeah, okay. But when you combine that with his advocacy of fighting climate change, and getting rid of nuclear power plants in Germany and cutting back sharply on their dependence on fossil fuels. He has literally paved the way for Vladimir Putin to enter Eastern Europe. Those may be Russian tanks, but they're proceeding on German roads built for them by Gerhard Schroeder. Mm. So this is kind of an uh, an, uh, encomium for Mr. Schroeder. Uh, May he disappear and rest in peace.
0: Yeah. Or not. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC.
1: Let's go to Stu in Brooklyn. Hi, Stu. Oh, good afternoon, Dick. Okay. Dick, you mentioned uh, some of the weapons. Maxim Whitlock also added food as a weapon. Dick, the uh, check engine light... Who, who added pressure. food? I'm sorry. I, I didn't get what who you said added food as a weapon. Maxim Lippow. Lip lip, oh, lip the foreign minister of, of Russia. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. During Stalin time. Dick, the, uh, there is a
0: solution to all of this that doesn't require a lot of boots on the ground.
1: Just some very special ones who are uh, warriors, and that task would be to take out the key points of the Russian oil infrastructure and why that isn't being done. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of reasons, but that would put an end to all of this. Well, the main one, Stu, is that those are European companies. I mean, it's a Russian owned company, but that's basically a European pipeline that Schroeder owns. And uh, Germany would not take it kindly if we blow up their access to oil and gas. Uh, the whole reason that, that Russia has this power in the first place is that they built this pipeline and it went through Ukraine. And when the Russians tried to take over Ukraine, uh, to keep Ukraine 20 years ago after the Soviet Union broke up, the uh, Russians cut off the supply of gas and oil to Ukraine. And uh, Ukraine retaliated by cutting off the flow from, through Ukraine from Russia to Germany. And Schroeder said, "We can't be having this. We can't let Ukraine compromise our energy and our industry. So we're going to build Nord Stream two, and uh, we do not want to be in the position of bombing, in effect, a pipeline that's that's run by our allies." But thanks for calling, Sue. Good point. Let's go to Jay in Ohio. Hi, Jay. Hi, Jay.
0: Hello, Jay. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hi, Jay. Yeah, uh, You're on the air. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, listen, the Russians are in it for the long haul. Let's, let's face it. I mean, the Europeans are not involved in helping the Ukraine,
1: Ukrainians. I can't. Uh, you cut it off. I don't uh, know about yeah, that. Yeah, Russia's in it for the long haul, but they're, they're yeah, gonna, they handle the it. only hauling they're going to have to do is to haul their asses out of Ukraine. You haul. After they get beaten. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, haul. Yeah, this is, leaving Ukraine will not be voluntary for Russia, put it that way. Now, while we're talking about issues of free speech and freedom, let's talk about the the would be Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Mm. Uh, he's the he's in line to be the Speaker after we throw out Pelosi in the election. Yay. And uh, the the I hate to call it a committee, the January sixth committee that's designed to keep the January sixth riot alive in the hearts of the American people. Oh, of course. And continue the deception that accused her of being an insurrection when, in fact, it was a protest. It was an unarmed protest. And the only people who were killed in it were cops who were largely killed as a result of... Uh, no, I'm sorry. The I, woman, I, right? I, yeah, the woman was killed. No cop was killed, I believe. Just one woman, but, I think. Yeah, a protester. Okay. But, the, uh, but, it, it beca- but it's become an absolute witch hunt. It's like the House American Activities Committee used to be, when going after so-called communists and casting a very broad net to try to discredit anybody who is slightly liberal. And now this committee is performing the same service for Biden and the radical, crazy Democrats. And they have ensnared Kevin McCarthy in that web. Uh, McCarthy spoke with Trump probably daily during this period of early January. And uh, and it was a legitimate conversation because the House was involved in certifying the election results. And um, Trump was saying, you're certifying a fraud. And that was a good comment. He had grounds for saying that. It really has never been investigated properly or impartially. And it needed to be. Uh, Trump did not foment a revolution. Trump did not not stoke a mob. Trump did not do any of that. And when they asked McCarthy about his conversations with Trump, he in their, the media says he lied. Now, I believe that, that those conversations should have been, and in fact legally were, covered by presidential privilege. And the point of presidential privilege is the president needs to be able to express his random thoughts, express the jottings on his notepad, express the ideas in his mind, and not be accused of of acting on them and not decisions. They're right. just musings and ideas, and that's all that Trump did. If Donald Trump wanted to start an insurrection in the United he States— He would have. He would have, and you, right. you'd know it. You'd know it. You wouldn't need a committee to investigate it to find it out. But uh, they have decided this is the, the the cross on which to hoist Kevin McCarthy.
0: Just another, another thing, just another thing, of course.
1: Yeah, oh, that they're doing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But um, this heritage of suspicion and, and doubt which is being laid in here over Kevin McCarthy might derail his bid for speaker, and that would be a terrible thing because I think he'd be a pretty good speaker.
0: We're in a trap I can't walk out Because I love you too much pain
1: we got to put the Kevin McCarthy investigation in perspective. The first thing the Republicans, the Democrats did was to take a demonstration by a group of citizens who whose worst crime was trespass. They didn't kill anybody. They didn't beat anybody up. And they were – and that was magnified into an act of, of insurrection and uh, was seen as, as a horrible coup d'etat attempt, which was totally absurd. They weren't armed. They had no military support. It would have been the first talking revolution, the world's first talking coup d'etat. Right. You know, forget arms, but, forget guns. Portland.
0: Portland was okay and all that business, the yeah. fires. Right,
1: That's exactly. Uh-huh. But it's it is so outrageous to do that. And then having made that a criminal act, they set up a committee to investigate it. And giving the committee subpoena power, the ability to compel the testimony of those who are involved or were thought to be involved uh, sets up the possibility of indicting them for perjury, as they've done for several of them, and even barring people from running for office. The ultimate goal of this is to disqualify Trump as a candidate for president. Right. And the bogus way they're planning to do that is to invoke a little notice portion of the 14th Amendment, or 15th, 15th I think. That was passed after the Civil War when the Southerners of the states that were readmitted to the Union uh, after they lost the Civil War were seated in Congress. You know, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama would send their old Confederate people to serve in Congress after they'd been disloyal to the country. The worst example was a guy named Alexander Stephens from Georgia who was the vice president of the Confederacy right under Jefferson Davis. And Georgia elected him uh, to the Senate after the Civil War. And the Northern members who had just won the war said, we're not letting this guy into the the Senate. For God's sakes, we shouldn't even give him the right to vote. He was a traitor in the worst possible sense. So when they passed the 14th or 15th, I'm not sure, amendment, they included a clause in there that said, if you have been in rebellion against the United States, and by that they meant the Civil War Mm -hmm. with, you know, like, a million Southern soldiers. Uh, You can't serve in elective office and we won't give you the right to vote. Actually, we'll give you the right to vote if you swear loyalty to the Union. And um, the Ku Klux Klan was singing songs, ain't asked no pardon for what I did or what I am. I won't be reconstructed and I don't give a damn. (laughs) And um, Funny that you know that song. Yeah, oh, it's on the (laughs) charts. Now it is. Yeah. (laughs) But... (laughs) But uh, they their whole uh, the whole approach here uh, is to try to characterize Donald Trump's statements about the election and his justified, reasonable questions about the fraud that underscored that election, and uh, and prosecute them as in effect treason, and use the Fourteenth or Fifteenth Amendment to try to keep Trump from running for president.
0: Using the, the useful idiots is what they're using.
1: Yeah, that's. But that's what the game plan is. That's what they're trying to do. Wow. So um, today we've covered a lot of stuff. I hope Vladimir is listening because he owes me a fair amount of money for the free advice I gave him. Which is to declare victory over the Nazis and then withdraw.
0: Thank you, Putin. Thank you. And thank you, my friend Paul Feinstein, for coming up with the idea. That was great.
1: We talked a lot at at the beginning of the show. I hope you caught it, but if not... uh, Check it out online at 77... Eight, seven, 77 W-A-B-C. wabc radio dot com. com. Yeah, right. that's it. And uh, I talked about how the Ukraine war has changed our understanding of warfare, that the most important thing becomes the intelligence and technical ability of the average soldier. The army of one is the recruiting slogan. Yeah, sure. And with Stinger missiles and Patriot, and Patriot missiles... And uh, javelin missiles, we really have an army of one. You carry the whole arsenal on your back.
0: That's amazing.
1: And you can shoot it anywhere you want. Uh, the other thing is that in the historical conflict between offense and defense, there now is a strong bias in favor of defense. And that makes the world increasingly immune to aggression. Because when you're invading your the country, you're on offense. And your opponents will fight to the death to preserve their country and the weaponry makes it possible. And uh, so that a big force for peace in the world in the future is the futility of invasion, and that's becoming very apparent as the Russian military screws up. The other point I made was that the energy, oil and gas, is really the nuclear weapon in warfare now. Uh, nobody's going to use nuclear weapons, but they are going to use cutting off the flow of energy, and that really is the... Most important weapon that exists. Thanks for watching. Thank you, Dick. It's an
0: honor to be here with you. Okay, it's fun.